0: I feel like I did it perfect the first time. All right. Cult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to keep the history of the cult on the digital airwaves. (laughs) I skipped a word and then I just...
1: (laughs) Ere Babylon was dust, the Magnus Zoroaster, my dead child, met his own image walking in the garden that apparition soul of men he saw for know there are two worlds of life and death one that which thou beholdest but the other is underneath the grave where do inhabit the shadows of all forms that think and live till death unite them and they part no more dreams and the light imaginings of men and all that faith creates or love desires terrible Strange, sublime, and beauteous shapes. There thou art, and dost hang, a writhing shade. Mid whirlwind-peopled mountains, all the gods are there, and all the powers of nameless worlds. Vast, sceptered phantoms, heroes, men, and beasts. And Demigorgon, a tremendous gloom, and he, the supreme tyrant, on his throne of burning gold."
2: So says the earth to Prometheus in romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley's Prometheus Unbound. Just before his death, Shelley was visited by his double. Shelley, best known for his poems Ozymandias, Ode to the West Wind, and To a Skylark, as well as his verse dramas The Cenci and Prometheus Unbound, was married to Frankenstein author Mary Shelley, and the couple had moved to Italy to get away from England, spend time with the poet Lord Byron, and to help with Percy Shelley's tuberculosis. Mary was Percy's second wife, and he divorced his first wife for her. His first wife, Harriet, drowned herself soon after the couple eloped. Their relationship was often polyamorous, with each of them taking lovers, including Mary's stepsister, Claire Claremont, who also slept with Byron. They also suffered their share of tragedy, with the pair losing children to miscarriage, premature birth, and an infancy the Shelleys had one surviving child, a boy named Percy Florence. Percy Shelley was a haunted man. At his last household in the Ricci, just before his death, he had horrible nightmares and waking visions. Friends witnessed him point to the sea, crying, There it is again, describing a naked child rising out of the water, smiling, hands clasped in joy. He saw a man who looked just like him walking on the terrace, and the man asked, how much longer Shelley meant to be content. Days later, he stood screaming over Mary in the middle of the night about a vision of the sea rising into the house. He saw his doppelganger again standing beside Mary and strangling her. Interestingly, Jane Williams, who was staying with the Shelleys along with her husband Edward, also reported seeing Shelley's double walking past her window and disappearing around a around a dead end. Shortly before setting sail in the Don Juan, Shelley had ordered poison, enough to kill a man. The boat itself had been dangerously modified from a standard design in hopes that it could outrace Byron's boat, the Bolivar, and Shelley was warned of bad weather before he decided to set out with Edward Williams and an 18-year-old boat boy. During the storm, the captain of another boat had attempted to take Shelley, Williams, and the boy aboard, but Shelley refused. He, the, the captain had also warned Shelley that they must take in sail in such high winds, and Shelley stubbornly would not adjust them. On the 8th of July, 1822, the Romantic poet, Percy Bysshe Shelley, drowned off the Italian coast of the Gulf go, of the Gulf of La Spezia when the Don Juan went down in a sudden storm. He was twenty-nine years old. His body washed ashore ten days later and was so badly decomposed with hands and feet completely eaten away that he had to be identified by his clothing and a copy of Keats' Lamia in his pocket. He was buried in the sand because of quarantine regulations and dug up a month later, at which time his body was cremated on a beach near where he was found. But his heart would not burn likely an ossification brought on by his tuberculosis. His friend, the critic and poet Lee Hunt, kept the heart in spirits, refusing for a long time to give it to Shelley's wife, Mary, but Hunt finally relinquished, and at least one story tells of Mary keeping the heart wrapped in a handkerchief in her writing case until her death, at which point it was buried with her. Was Shelley's mysterious doppelganger a harbinger of impending death? A sign of his degrading sanity, or an impetus to suicide? Today, on Occult Confessions, we begin our series on the mysterious phenomenon of the double. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. I am your supreme hierophant, joined by the captain of our table, James Kaplanges. Hey! 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 Hey. (laughs) How's it going? And in discussion for the first time in a very long time, our werewolf-in-residence, Aubrey Radford. Hey, guys. (laughs) Such a chill werewolf. Yeah, she's so cool. You are. You're the chillest of wolves.
0: Thank you. I I guess I pride myself on that.
2: (laughs) We're also doing something a little special today because I am very excited about this series. I'm excited about every series. But I uh, understand this Doppelganger series, which we begin today, as the follow-up to my Soul series, which James will tell you is my very favorite series I've done. Uh,
3: Everybody, I just want to let you know that the Soul series is Rob's favorite series that he's done.
2: (laughs) So, uh, to honor that, uh, for one episode and one episode only, we are doing live voice performances. You heard Sean Priest. Sean, say hi to everybody.
1: Hello. Right
2: here. <laughs> Slightly right in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke Kenneman is here, our Producia Discordia. Sean, our Voice of the Kings, by the way. Hello. Hello. Uh, so they are here to do uh, some more extensive voice work, I think. Uh, some characters that you will be familiar with, beginning with Percy Biss uh, but we won't give that away. <laughs> all right. Let's pledge. Can we all pledge together? Can we try this? Let us pledge. We, the members members of the the secret order order of alchemical Alchemical actors, Actors do solemnly commit
3: ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the the occult as far as as we know it.
2: Alright, that was good. Good job, team. Uh, Alright, James, uh, I'm going to challenge you here now uh, because uh, I am changing up the format. I have been talking about this, I'm going to finally pull the plug, Uh, no pun intended, Uh, We're going to retire the three plugs uh, and Um, we're going to move the order of confessors, which we haven't done in in quite a while now, up to the beginning of the episodes now. So we'll be doing the intro and then the order of confessors. But uh, now Olivia is very fond of introducing the plugs. Uh, Generally, uh, my my somebody on the team, one of the actors does something to introduce the plugs. So order of confessors. I want you to see. I just want to see what comes out of your face to open the Order of Confessors.
3: Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. Confess! <laughs>
2: <laughs> I couldn't have asked for anything more. I really feel guilty now, too, and I'm not even sure why. So, Was that alright? That's great. Okay, cool. Let us welcome some patrons, Mr. Uh, Scheudenfreud. Am I saying that properly? Scheudenfreud? Schadenfreud. Cecil W, Sam S., Felicia T, and Yo McDonald. <laughs> Was it uh, Yo McDonald? Anyway. Yo McDonald. Yeah. Yo McDonald. Uh, we got reviews from Zan Poly Saturated, loves the podcast, educated and well spoken view on occult history. Also, uh, Goodman, 1124 in uh in the UK says we're fun, informal, informative and interesting. Olivia and gang seem pretty cool. And Rob and rob a great show says tc from berlin uh episodes with riley uh, are great jacob cheers from berlin so
3: berlin germany or berlin maryland berlin, Ger- germany. okay germany
2: nice. germany yes uh, so thanks to our overseas friends appreciate those uh, we have been receiving some messages. I want to thank Genevieve M. for sending us some input on uh, the subject of the Lakota Nation and how they have been carrying on ghost dance traditions. Appreciate that. And Tom RP, uh, who I, is my frequent uh, correspondent on the Instas, let us know that naturists, uh, and for those of you who don't know what a naturist is, that's a person that goes naked. Naturist. I mean, we all do every now and again, but...
3: Except for the never-nudes.
2: Except for the never nudes. Anyhow, they do get interested sexually in other people, even though they're looking at penises and vaginas all the time. Believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, close up the order of confessors.
3: Confess. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <What>? Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah, and then pull it back at the end.
4: It's like a thing.
3: Oh, you've confessed.
2: Yeah. I accept that. <laughs> <clears throat> romantic authors loved the theme of the doppelganger. The German romantic writer, uh, Jean- Jean-Paul, coined the term... Oh, well, he's German. John paul Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul <laughs> coined the term in his novel, uh, Sayabankas. The title character of the story, Sayabankas, is unhappily married and goes to meet his doppelganger who suggests he fake his own death. Sayabankas takes this advice, escapes from his wife, meets the girl of his dreams, and lives happily ever after. So there you go, guys. All those Dateline episodes where they murder the wife? Just fake your own death. Why you gotta kill somebody?
3: How does he find his doppelganger so easy, though?
2: I I will talk about that. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Tales of the Doppelganger also appear in Goethe, Byron, and E.T.A. Hoffman. Hoffman claimed to have been haunted by a double throughout his own life, the author himself. According to psychoanalyst Otto Rank, Hoffman's mother was a hysterical personality given to nervousness and eccentricity. Hoffman feared becoming insane and frequently saw his own mirror image standing before him as well as disguised spectral figures. Sometimes, when he was writing late at night, he'd rush to wake up his wife to witness one of these visions. Hoffman told many of the stories of the doppelganger, including the Sandman, in which the title character appears in various guises, over and over again to haunt the narrator's life. Also, the devil's elixir, in which the protagonist, uh, Capuchin Monk, is perpetually followed by a doppelganger.
3: A doppelganger being someone who looks like you.
2: Exactly. A double of you. A double. You're coming late to that party, James. No,
3: I, I just figured... <laughs> it's good to clear it up now, yeah, though. You're right. Up. Yeah. We
2: have like six more episodes to go on this subject. <laughs> So if everyone's just sitting there wondering, what the hell does this mean? This big German word. And here we go. is an English word as well. We've adopted it in, in total. So it's your double. Yeah. But we're going to define it many ways. The monk falls in love. Back to the monk. Remember the Capuchin monk? Falls in love with a princess and kills her brother. Also her stepmother. <laughs> you know. Your regular Grey's Anatomy episode. He's, uh, he's sentenced to death but a doppelganger appears to save him from the gallows, and the monk, in turn, rescues his doppelganger from execution to do battle with him in the woods. Sort of like A Tale of Two Cities, but way more complicated. He saved him so that he could fight him in the woods. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love romantic writers. He <laughs> yeah, but if he, Yeah, but if he had been executed, you wouldn't have got the opportunity to engage in fisticuffmanship. Both the Monk and the Doppelganger stab the princess in fits of madness. The Doppelganger succeeds in killing her. So, love the princess, stab her to death in the woods. In Paul and Hoffman, the Doppelganger exists at the nexus of desire and death. It is an emanation of repressed sexual yearning and constantly circles the protagonist's own demise in comic and tragic ways. Edgar Allan Poe. He was also a fan. You know this guy, Aubrey? Have you heard of this character?
0: Refresh me on him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, 19th century guy.
0: Yeah, kind of yeah, sad.
2: Yeah. Blackbirds and stuff. Always right, hanging yeah. out at his chamber door.
3: Baltimore. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, it was the Ravens, yeah. <laughs> he was also a fan of the doppelganger doppelganger theme. Sorry although it's not often identified with him since it only manifests in his more obscure stories. But you know this is a cult confession. Let's talk about those obscure stories. (laughs) They are namely William Wilson and Morella, which is a story we have adapted. Yes, Mm -hmm. Aubrey's voice was in that adaptation. That's right. And James's (laughs) voice, both
3: of you. And my music. Oh, my voice too, that's right. Yeah.
2: In Morella, the narrator marries a woman who dies in childbirth, but the child grows to become exactly like her mother. The narrator refuses to name the girl, in turn refusing to acknowledge that she is exactly like her mother. When he finally does name her, the girl dies on the spot. You're up, Luke.
4: And at the baptismal font, I hesitated for a name and many titles of the wise and beautiful of old and modern times, of my own and foreign lands, came thronging to my lips, with many, many fair titles of the gentle and the happy and the good. What prompted me then to disturb the memory of the buried dead? What demon urged me to breathe that sound, which, in its very recollection, was wont to make ebb the purple blood in torrents from the temples to the heart? What fiend spoke from the recesses of my soul, When amid those dim aisles, and the silence of the night, I whispered within the ears of the holy man the syllables, Morella, what more than a fiend convulsed the features of my child, and overspread them with the hues of death, as starting at that scarcely audible sound, she turned her glassy eyes from the earth to heaven, and falling prostrate on the black slabs of our ancestral vault, responded, I am here.
2: Wow. Nice stuff. Nice stuff. Luke, uh, you said it's a a happy recollection of the doppelganger?
4: Yeah, he's having a great time. He's having a
2: good time with his wife's doppelganger.
4: (laughs) The more the merrier.
2: The more of my one wife I can get, Exactly. the better off I am. Uh, It
3: definitely seems a bit haunting. (laughs) Luke is newly married. so.
2: I
4: am. So if two wives would just be, I get to hang out with both
3: of them. <laughs> <laughs> two wives don't make a right, Lou.
2: <laughs> In Morella, the post shows that acknowledging the double as a double by, by naming the double after its original collapses the copy and the original into one, vanquishing the double's illusion. In another story, you got me there?
3: Vanquished. Yeah.
2: Got it. They, They sort of like, you know. The superposition collapses. They become one entity a when fusion. you name them both the same thing.
3: Mm.
2: Should have been, you should have said, it's Morella too.
3: It's Morella too.
2: To ella Then we would have been fine. <laughs> we could have kept both. In another story, Poe explores the consequence for a narrator who refuses to see his double for what it is. This is William Wilson. In William Wilson, the narrator meets a boy at his boarding school who has his exact name. Much of the early detail in the story is drawn from Poe's own boyhood in the London suburbs, fun fact. He even gave the headmaster of the school the same name as the headmaster at the school he attended, Reverend John Bransby. In the story, the advent of a second William Wilson does not surprise the narrator much, since William Wilson is not an especially unique name. No. It's like my name. There's a lot of Rob Thompsons out there.
4: Yeah.
2: A lot of Aubrey Radfords. I'm sure you have meet them all the time.
0: Um, I met one once on. Did you really MySpace? My, back oh, you in MySpace you searched space. yourself. Search myself, and we lived in the same city. Actually, when I was living in Florida, that's wow. wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She unfriended me eventually.
2: <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> she want to didn't even have to. MySpace just disappeared. Oh yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, it was face- it was the early days of Facebook. I guess if she knew I she just got too close to you, she would be vanquished.
3: You don't oh, get yeah, he wish. would
2: collapse into one. That's true. Yeah, you don't That's want true. that. No. <laughs> Nobody wants that from MySpace.
0: Maybe it'd be like super.
2: Super, Rob. Uh, you'd be like a Power Ranger. You'd yeah. <laughs> combine. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see how it worked out in Poe. But he develops an odd relationship with this other Wilson, who also just so happens to have been born on the same day in January in 1811. William Wilson grows to despise William Wilson, as is common in many Poe's stories, from the black cat to the telltale heart, in which the narrator's closest familiars were also fated to become bitterly annoying and insufferable to the narrator. Go
4: ahead, Luke. I had not then discovered the remarkable fact that we were of the same age, but I saw that we were of the same height, and I perceived that we were not altogether unlike in general contour of person and outline of feature. I was galled, too, by the rumor touching a relationship which had grown current in the upper forms. To make matters
2: worse, the second Wilson starts to dress and act like the narrator Wilson. Imagine this, Aubrey, if your MySpace person started to dress like you and design their wallpaper just like your MySpace wallpaper.
0: Yeah, I guess I wouldn't
2: want them stealing my life. No, right? Yeah. And they would pick your favorite bands and stuff. One night, the narrator goes to a play—a mean trick on the goes to play a, a mean trick on the second Wilson. But when he sees him sleeping, is overcome by the extreme coincidence of their similarity and withdraws in horror, as only a Poe character can. You know, most of us don't withdraw in horror very often, <laughs> no. right? But. In a post story, you just take... Oh, of course, he withdrew in horror. How else do you withdraw?
3: <laughs> Reluctantly.
2: <laughs> withdraw in chagrin? Yeah. In amusement? The narrator transfers to Eton, where he makes a habit of getting drunk and playing cards and spending lots of money. There again, he meets his double, the second Wilson, who appears like a vision and vanishes as quickly as he came, uttering only their own shared name. In a whisper. William Wilson. Yeah, he's, he's uh, what, we would, what the kids would call extra. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the kids would say that anymore. Um, <laughs> running low on cash, Wilson and his friends conspire to cheat a rich kid out of his money at a card game. The ri- Smart. Right, that's what you're going to do. Screw that rich kid. The rich kid turns out to be not as rich as Wilson guessed. Uh-oh and by the end of the game has gambled all of his money away, so also pretty dumb. But then a stranger suddenly appears in the room, dressed in the same unusual cloak as Wilson, and begs the company assembled to search Wilson's coat and sleeves. There they discover the hidden cards with which Wilson had cheated the boy. Wilson flees to Europe, where he is perpetually hounded by this second Wilson, who ruins his morally questionable good time over and over. Over again, I assume also punctuating it with little whispers of his own name. (laughs) William Wilson. (laughs) Finally in Venice at Carnival, in the Carnival season, Wilson is about to sex a sexy duchess, which is the best kind of duchess, when his double surfaces one final time to cockblock him, dressed in his same attire once more whispering in his ear Wilson grabs Wilson and drags him out of the room to a private chamber where the protagonist Wilson might put an end to his antagonist Wilson once and for all now it has occurred to me as I was working on this if you have seen the Tom Hanks movie right where he's a cast away oh cast away yeah. and his only friend is Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> yeah. how could that not be a reference to this story like he creates his own second self to talk to uh... and it's called I understand that's the name of the company but whoa it could have been Spalding or uh, something Mizuno (laughs) or something yeah it's the one name of a ball company I could come up with Mikasa do you know any names of ball sack companies?
3: Scrotum. (laughs) (laughs)
4: it's a household name
2: (laughs) how do you carry your balls? (laughs) scrotum scrotum ball
4: sacks (laughs) oh that's very good okay in a few seconds I forced him by sheer strength against the wainscoting and thus getting him at mercy plunged my sword with brute ferocity repeatedly through and through his bosom at this instant some person tried the latch of the door I hastened to prevent an intrusion, and then immediately returned to my dying antagonist. What human language can adequately portray that astonishment, that horror which possessed me at the spectacle, then presented to my view? A large mirror, now stood where none had been perceptible before, and, and as I stepped up to it, an extremity of terror, mine own image, but with features all pale and stabbed in blood, advanced, with a feeble and tottering gait to meet me. It was Wilson, but he spoke no longer in a whisper, and I could have fancied that I myself was speaking while he said, You have conquered, and I yield, yet henceforward art thou also dead, dead to the world and its hopes." In me didst thou exist, and in my death, see by this image, which is thine own, how utterly thou hast murdered thyself.
2: It's one of those perfect Poe twists. Like you see it coming a mile away, but it's still dark.
3: Yeah, there's something yeah. really weird about being around something that's, like, of you. You know, like, like a feedback loop almost kind of effect. Like, I don't even like being around my dad. You know, we have too much like it's I came too much from to him. like you. Yeah, mm. I don't like it. <laughs> it's spooky.
2: <laughs> Isn't the world though like the like the internet has been invented? Not the internet, social media though has been invented to put us in these feedback loops.
3: Yeah, but yeah, like we make our own content and then eat it ourselves. <laughs> it's a little like cannibalistic.
2: Uh, yeah, people feed us back to ourselves, right. our own over opinions over and over again. In Poe, as in Paul and Hoffman, the double intersects with themes of sex, desire, and death. These themes were also prominent in the work of seminal psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud. In his his essay on The Uncanny, Freud makes some enigmatic comments on the double. In a footnote, he tells a story about seeing himself in the mirror of a medicine cabinet in a traveler car aboard a train.
3: That's where you're supposed to see yourself, though, right?
2: That's the only I go I never look at myself except under these circumstances. <laughs> but at first he didn't recognize this reflection. Instead, he saw his mirror image as a second person, an elderly gentleman in a dressing gown and traveling cap who had accidentally wandered into his room. Freud describes this experience of seeing this man and then recognizing him as his own reflection as uncanny. By uncanny, he means a hidden familiar thing that has undergone repression and then emerged from it Mm. so he forgot that he looks old yeah yeah Uh, that he's traveling and wears a cap forgot all that stuff about himself you ever forget you're wearing a cap aubrey
0: yes a lot actually
2: and then you go looking for your cap (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, oddly this suggests that Freud's encounter with his imagined doppelganger was in fact a confrontation with repressed knowledge of himself, his image and motion and position in space. These repressed facts came back in the view of the reflection as unfamiliar because Freud had repressed and hidden himself
3: from himself. Whoa. So this is like a reverse doppelganger.
2: It's the it's a There's... super hardcore game of hide and seek. <laughs>
3: I was doing that during quarantine for a little while.
2: Played with your subconscious,
3: were you? You were hiding in your own mind? (laughs) I saw a picture of myself and I had an afro and I was like, when did that happen?
4: (laughs) Uh,
3: Oh, so you had an uncanny experience. Yeah, I did. That was weird.
2: (laughs) Freud as subject, eyes facing out on the world, confronts Freud as object, body in space. The mind in space represses its gross creatural reality. Like we forget sometimes that we have like faces and bodies attached to us, right?
3: They're gross though.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or at least uh, that's how I'm interpreting Freud. I have to be honest here. Freud is often more mysterious than he's given credit for. Like his various protégés, including Jung and Reich, he was as much a philosopher as he was a scientist. In the case of his essay on the uncanny, Freud wasn't actually drawing on psychoanalysis so much as applying his psychoanalytic theories to literature. A story for another day. Moving on to Otto Rank. In his essay, Otto Rank who was a protege of Freud, developed a far more complete concept of the doppelganger as we've been discussing it today. Rank argues that we conjure our double out of narcissistic self-love. He tells the story of a legend popular in the 19th century that if a girl walked backward in the dark up a flight of stairs holding a candle and a hand mirror, she would see in the mirror either the face of the man she would marry or the reaper if she was destined to die before she married what'd you see Aubrey when you did this
0: um the reaper
2: oh badly. no <laughs> oh no well maybe that'll be your sweetheart
0: i think so we have a pretty good relationship me and
2: okay fair yeah. enough you and grim yeah. <laughs> all right step on up Otto rank
0: always had a crush on him so. i love his He's- jamaican
3: accent <laughs> 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 Yes, yes, thank you. you.
1: According to these traditions, girls are able to see their sweethearts in the mirror under the same conditions in which death or misfortune also reveal themselves. And in an exception that this does not apply to vain girls, we may recognize a reference to narcissism, which interferes with the choice of a love object. he's not a big fan of those
2: vain
3: girls. Vain, vain spelled which way?
2: I like weather vane girls, girls who model for weather vanes.
3: That just point the direction <laughs> that the wind's point blowing? Point the direction of the wind, yes. <laughs> he doesn't like those.
2: <laughs> Pull that closer to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever appears in the mirror represents a challenge to the primacy of the girl's ego. Either she will be joined to a partner in whom her identity will become subsumed or she will die. This is old timey stuff, right? So yeah. you would get married, you take your husband's name. My wife didn't even take my name. We're in a new world now. Um, but it used to be that your husband really did subsume your identity when you got married. Um, and death is death. So <laughs> either way, it was an end of the ego.
3: Yeah, same thing.
2: To witness these visions, the girl has to literally see past herself with her vanity and narcissism serving as the greatest obstacle to her supernatural revelation. She's looking in the mirror at herself just to see behind herself, to see, the, you know, her future.
3: Walking backwards upstairs.
2: Well, I mean, that's, that comes first. It seems dangerous. It's a little, and you're wearing, hold, 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 also it's wearing a, a lit candle, candle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, this is probably to make it a bit safer, truth be told, because otherwise you're in the dark walking mm-hmm. yeah. The legend of the girl with in the mirror uh, or with the mirror is the origin of our modern Bloody Mary ritual Uh. in which chanting the name Bloody Mary into a mirror conjures a woman who does something horrible to the chanters. The link with sex is not as obvious except for the fact that this is often done by groups of adolescents who might incorporate it into games of truth or dare or do it to impress desired partners. Look at how manly I am, says the girl. (laughs) <laughs> would have done it for me back in the day oh yeah oh you want to do that bloody mary chant okay
3: <laughs> Le do
2: i'll be here when you're done <laughs> in the uh in the bloody mary version we must see past our own reflection in order to prove ourselves greater than our fear of death perhaps in the name of sexual satisfaction i'm waiting i'm right here waiting for you In our narcissism, we are terrified of the dissolution of our egos into sexual love or death, and so we develop the notion of a double. Our double is our obsession with ourselves, and we have to overcome that obsession in order to continue to develop as human beings. If we don't, we grow to hate our double in spite of, or perhaps because we cling to it, as in The Picture of Dorian Gray.
3: I love that book.
2: This is a clever book. Yeah. Yeah. We come to feel haunted and pursued paranoid about a kind of immolation at the hands of our double, obsessed with the idea of our own self-destruction. The double goes from being the embodiment of our escape from ego dissolution to the messenger of death itself, as in Percy Bysshe Shelley's double. Rank points to a related interpretation of the double in line with some of Freud's thinking, that is, the notion that the double-ganger is the embodiment of our repressed desires. The double becomes a detached personification of instincts, and desires that were once thought to be unacceptable, but which can be satisfied without responsibility in this indirect way. This cuts two ways. If we are already realizing our repressed desires by having sex with our second cousins and drinking ourselves stupid with our buddies at Eton, the double could flip sides. We could act as our own double, with a doubled self as conscience, monitoring and scolding us for our behavior. Two selves arguing over the correct course of action. Here is the double as Poe it in William Wilson. So we're sort of like the double could be the good angel, bad angel kind of thing or devil Mm. angel. Sorry. Good angel, bad angel.
3: (laughs) It's just whatever you are times negative one.
2: There you go. Just changes your sign. Yeah. (laughs) It is negative you. Alter you. Bizarro you. (laughs) Negami. Yeah. In this context, we can read the double as a kind of alter ego, like the two Dale Coopers in David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended if you have not watched. Although be patient with the new season. Uh, Aubrey, here you are, right? You're a big Twin Peaks person. I'm a Twin Peaks fan. Yeah, right? The two Dale Coopers. We have the alter ego. Yes. Passes into the other world. Uh, and those two...
0: There's being like four or three? Oh, well, there's Coopers. three Dale Coopers? Yeah. By the time you get to the new...
2: There's the super good Dale Cooper, the super bad Dale Cooper. Oh, and you're and talking about the you. Dale Cooper that's like catatonic? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if we're only morally guided, then our double becomes our repressed amoral desire. Is he a double in that other world, too, when he goes at the end? Is that another Dale Cooper? Is that the same one?
0: There's one that like holds a place for him because I think the bad Dale Cooper tries to cheat.
2: In this world. Yeah. yeah. Sorry we're that's nerding cool. out on Twin Peaks <laughs> But when he crosses over to get Judy That's not another Dale Cooper
0: That's where I get confused
2: That's where everybody gets confused yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. Why did they throw the gun in the fryer? What's
4: happening? Yeah. If, we're, if we're morally
2: guided Does Judy just live in that restaurant? Is that the embodiment of all evil? Is just serving pie? Pie is good if we're, or is she in that house? If we're morally guided, then our double becomes our repressed, amoral desires. If we're amoral, then our double becomes our moralizing conscience. Real people aren't easily divided into good and evil, but the alter ego need not be so black and white as the two Coopers. If we are shy, our double might be outgoing. If we're introspective, our double might be impulsive. Our double becomes whatever we are not.
3: What if we're everything? Everything. Then your double
2: then we're doesn't pro- exist. You're a fully subsumed human being. You are <laughs> <Dope>. actualized.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually actualized.
2: <laughs> a tale of the turn of the 20th century Italian monarch Umberto I resonates with many of the themes that we've explored today. As far as I can tell, and I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings here, the story has not been corroborated, but it, it is it is one of the more remarkable legends of the doppelganger floating through the folkloric back channels of the internet and beyond. Umberto was the king of Italy from 1878 until his assassination in 1900. During his reign, he solidified an alliance with Germany and Austria-Hungary and engaged in colonial wars in the Horn of Africa with mixed success. On July the 29th, 1900, he was shot four times and killed by the Italian-American anarchist Gaetano Bresci. Bresci was motivated by the king's support of a massacre against rioters in Milan, protesting the rising price of bread. Which seems petty, but basically they were starving. Yeah. It was not the first assassination attempt against Umberto, and it arguably inspired anarchist Leo uh, Shulgaz to... Am I right there, Leo Shulgaz?
3: I wouldn't know. There's no way to be sure
2: american history uh it inspired leon sholga's to assassinate u.s president william mckinley in 1901 uh, sholga is also an anarchist since italy had abolished the death penalty Bresci was imprisoned and died at the age of 31 with some debate over whether he hanged himself or was murdered In addition to being a hated enemy of anarchists, Umberto I is also as a, I mean, a hated enemy of anarchists, that seems odd to me. Aren't all people in government kind of hated enemies of anarchists?
3: Unless they're bad at their job.
2: (laughs) So just by (laughs) virtue of existing, they're kind of anti-anarchist. Right. Anyway, Umberto I is also, as I mentioned, the subject of one of the most amazing modern accounts of a doppelganger. The most reputable source I could find for this story was a brief piece in The Guardian, which I don't consider especially well-researched. Sorry, The Guardian. It's best for us to understand this tale as existing in the realm of legend, that is to say, only possibly true. That having been said, the day before he died, Umberto I is rumored to have met a restaurateur while dining at the man's establishment in Monza. To his surprise, the owner looked exactly like the king. As if this wasn't enough, they had been born on the same day and married the same day to women named Margarita. And the restaurant had opened on the day of the king's coronation. The king was so impressed by this coincidence that he invited his doppelganger to attend an athletics competition Uh with him the next day.
3: (laughs) What? I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh.
2: Yeah. So come on, I'm going to an athletics competition. But the man never showed. Oh, Turning to one of his advisors, the king asked where the other Umberto was and learned the sad news that his double had been shot and killed that morning. Moments later, Umberto himself met his end at the hands of the anarchist Bresci. Wow. Weird. If it's true... I certainly think it's possible that the Umberto tale has its roots in at least some truth, as with most legends, but even if it's purely a tall tale, it speaks to the same themes of desire and death that have accompanied our narrative of the double throughout today's discussion. The key points of connection between Umberto I and Umberto the restaurateur were birth, marriage, wife, career, and death. As with Shelley and Hoffman, haunted perpetually by doubles, we see in the legend of Umberto's double... That the doppelganger refuses to remain purely in the realm of fiction, seeking opportunities whenever possible to enter the realm of the real. This is perhaps most obvious in the true story of the Jim twins. All right, get ready for this. This Jim's, is real.
3: Jim spelled how? J I M. Jim. Oh, Jim. Okay. Just Jim. Not Jim. Guy Jimmy James. The... James.
2: Okay. Like James. Like James Jim. Jimmy Jim. Jimmy James. Jim Jim. I'm talking about Jim Lewis and Jim Springer. Thanks to Psychology After Dark for uh, (laughs) turning me on to this story, by the way. The Jims were twins, separated at birth, and raised 45 miles from each other. Both boys were coincidentally named James by their adoptive parents. Both Jims had dogs in childhood that were named Toy. Both (gasps) married women named Linda. Yeah. Divorced those women and married again, this time
3: to women named Betty. (laughs) Aren't they firemen, too?
2: But I'll get there. Both, uh, (laughs) not firemen, though. Both had sons that they named James Allen, with the only difference being the number of L's after the first A in Allen. One worked as a security guard and the other as a sheriff's deputy. Oh. Both drove a Chevrolet. Both were chain smokers. The Jims were, in many ways, something other than just twins. They were doppelgangers. Who could find a natural explanation for their physical similarity but not so much for the incredible coincidences in their biographies which they lived out a world apart before they ever met each other they were in two completely different towns all of these things happened before they met
3: what happened after they met was it all bad things that happened after they met
2: no no i think the one of the james is married one of the Jims remarried yet again Oh. But the one Jim is still married. So now their stories have split a bit. Good. I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter. It's (laughs) all a crap before. It's wild.
3: Yeah, that is wild. Yeah.
2: While we're inclined to explain away the double as delusion or invention, it's not always so easy, is the point I'm trying to make. Supernaturalism perpetually bubbles to the surface in stories of the double, which is perhaps, I believe,. Why it became a significant theme for occultists like Helena Blavatsky with her tripartite soul and parapsychologists like Frederick Myers and his Phantasms of the Living. The psychologist Otto Rank sees our concept of the soul as such a double, conjured out of our refusal to accept that we must die. So he's not saying the soul is a supernatural entity, he's saying it's a psychological delusion. But... Rank's theory here is remarkably reductive. You knew I was going to get there right away. And misses the complexities of beliefs surrounding the astral double. Some occultists believed in a mortal astral double instead of an immortal soul, as we talked about in the Chevalier episodes at the very beginning of the series. And some cultures, like the Hamong, who ascribe a spirit to every body part, believe in genres of soul that look nothing like doppelgangers. All humans are destined to die, but not all humans share the same beliefs about the nature of the soul. This contradicts the notion that the soul is purely a psychological response. Death is universal, and if we imagine the soul in response to death, why is that not also universal? We've only just begun to scratch the surface on the double, with many dark and fanciful corners of human endeavor yet to explore. Coming up, we'll spend time with Frederick Myers, our very next episode, uh, and his Phantasms of the Living. Uh, also the theosophists after that. Uh, and we'll take a trip to Tibet to seek out the Tulpa. That's going to be fun, yeah. And the theoretical laboratories of some of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists to discover alternate universes. I'm not sure what a theoretical laboratory looks like. It's Probably that place where Freud is hiding himself.
3: I got it. <laughs> It's just a box with no windows. <laughs>
4: it's like Schrodinger's cat.
2: <laughs> but that's yeah, but, where the lab is but for guys in lab cuts yeah it's in the cat's iris and before uh we're done we'll get a definitive answer as to whether sir paul mccartney died in a car crash at the height of the beatles fame and was replaced by a doppelganger i will answer that so stick with us uh it's going to be an intense ride my friends and this is only the beginning buckle uh, up buckle up james can you bring us home
3: yeah safety first let's do it we, the members of the secret order of Alchem. Wait, am I doing it wrong?
2: Our sources today include Sigmund Freud's The Uncanny, Otto Rank's Double, a psychoanalytic study, translated Harry Tucker Jr., Ed Graham, Pose and William Wilson, Percy Shelley's Prometheus Unbound, and Interesting.com, The Jim Twins.
3: James. Yes. Let's
2: try this again. Can you bring us home?
3: Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> this is James. I'm saying thanks.
2: Hereby,
3: oh, I hereby dismiss, call, close, adjourn. adjourn this meeting of alchemical actors until we get together and do it again.
2: Fine, I'll take it. It's close enough. I don't want to be here all night. Nailed
3: it. <laughs> well, you didn't
2: say secret order, which is good. That's true. Yeah, so often folks add secret for no good reason.
3: <laughs> I ain't got time for that.
2: <laughs> no, well, that's yeah, that's true. We are the secret order of alchemical actors. But that's only because we use assumed names. My no. name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. <laughs> Joined by James Kaplan, at the mic, captain of the table.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Werewolf in residence, Aubrey Radford.
3: It's
0: good being here.
2: Get on up to the mic there, Sean Priest, voice of the king. Still here. Still here. And going home. Still here, but going home. And uh, Luke, get him in Producia Discordia.
4: Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
2: awesome. Uh, so yes, coming up next on Occult Confessions, we will be vis- visiting the uh, phantasms of the living. Myers is one of the authors of that extensive tome, uh, and that's that's it's basically like as you're dying, you send out a spirit that people see, but you're not dead yet. It's not your dead spirit. You're still alive, so it's very much your doppelganger. Your you're just hanging out. In two places at once. You're like sending a message. It was before we had cell phones. Yeah. Uh-huh. Occult Confessions. Good! That was fun!